Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and today we're going to talk with you about one of my favorite Jewish holidays. I guess they all seem to be my favorites, but I <laughs> really love this one. And this is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the joyful end of a serious and somber high holiday season. And with me is Bobby Walter, the director of our work in Brooklyn and the greater New York area. Shalom, Bobby. You ready for the Feast of Tabernacles? Shalom, Mitch. Yes, I am very ready. And uh, I agree with you. Sukkot is one of my favorites. It's in my top 10 of all the uh, Jewish holidays. And uh, well, well, there are only seven major ones, Bobby. It's, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly my point, yeah. Um, yeah, but this is really uh, one of my favorites because it is the last holiday in the year. And when you look, it, it's all over Scripture. It's all over the Old Testament, the Tanakh, uh, but also we see quite a bit having to do with the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot, even in the New Testament. Right, right. So Tabernacles is a big deal where we live in New York City, in Brooklyn, and a big deal in Israel. And in most more religious Jewish areas, you'll see little lean-tos that are built, little booths, because we're commanded to build these booths and... In New York City, you just don't have a lot of space for big booths, you know? Exactly. And so sometimes the synagogues build bigger booths where you could come in as a community. But most of these booths are in little front yards and in a very, very favorite place in New York City, fire escapes. Yes. And so you've got these booths on a fire escape. And what's wonderful about them is that the family is supposed to live there, actually. And so you have to actually sleep there and take your meals there, and mm. worship there. and uh, But of course, that's the most religious Jewish people. If you're less religious, you don't sleep there, you just eat there. And if you're less religious, you just kind of have a snack there or a meal <laughs> once in a while and go in there and enjoy it. And the other thing I love about Feast of Tabernacles is, is how beautifully they're decorated. Mm -hmm. And so it's the final fruit harvest uh, in Israel because it's the last of the seven great festivals falls out in the in the fall or the autumn, usually September or October, right really before the rainy season. And so there's just so many wonderful traditions linked to the Feast of Tabernacles that really do point to Jesus and have their fulfillment, not only in the first coming of Jesus, but actually in the second coming. So it's kind of like, it's a long-term prophetic holiday, Bobby. Exactly, exactly. And Mitch, I, I also, I love walking around Brooklyn this time of year and seeing all the different tabernacles set up. And what's interesting, this kind of just tells us how Jewish New York City is. There are some buildings in some of the Hasidic neighborhoods, apartment buildings, when they're constructing the building, they will stagger the balconies. So you don't have just one balcony right on top of another. They're <laughs> staggered so that you can have a sukkah on there, a booth. And you can look through the roof of the sukkah and actually see the sky. As we know, part of the rabbinic tradition is that for a sukkah to be kosher, you have to be able to see the sky. Okay, Bobby. So I have a, I have a very important question. If you're looking at the sky and there are little spaces between the quote-unquote ceiling, which is either palm fronds or right. 
some kind of uh, yeah. very frail substance. Mm-hmm. Bobby, what do you do when it rains? <laughs> well, it depends on uh, how religious you are. <laughs> uh, the, the less religious will head inside for cover into the, the regular home. I, I think it's actually an easy answer. So what do you do when it rains on Sukkot and you're in your tabernacle? You get wet. <laughs> get a raincoat. The, you know the obvious answer. Yeah, I can't it is the I obvious that. answer. Let me let me read from uh, Leviticus, Bobby, uh, where the festival is initiated because there's a, there's a lot to learn from the text. Mm-hmm. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth of this seventh month is the feast of booths, or the Hebrew word is Sukkot, for seven days to the Lord." So the initial part of tabernacles is seven days and it's party time you know mm-hmm. i mean it is you know after rosh hashanah and all the repentance and the 10 days of repentance and the fasting on the day of atonement five days later everybody's ready to to, to have fun right on verse 35 on the first day is a holy convocation again we mentioned this in earlier programs part of the way we celebrate these festivals is through gathering together for worship you shall do no laborious work of any kind. So again, on Sukkot, you're not supposed to work. Mm-hmm. For seven days, you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. Those offerings are detailed in Numbers 28 and 29. Right. And on all the festivals. And so, but on tabernacles, you have a lot of sacrifices. And on the very uh, last day, the seventh day, called Hoshana Rabbah, the great day of the festivals, all of the offerings are in multiples of seven, which has great significance in the Bible. Yeah, when you're reading Numbers 28 and 29, each day it, it keeps building up. You add more and more sacrifices until you get to multiples of seven on the last day. Right. So then on the eighth day, so there's an eighth day to the seven-day holiday. <laughs> so on the eighth day, you need a lot of time off if you're going to be a religious Jewish person, let me tell you. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation, another one, and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly don't do any laborious work. So that eighth day is also a holiday. It's called Shemini Atzeret, mm-hmm. and that is the eighth day of the festival. And actually, in modern Judaism, we add a ninth day. That ninth day is called Simchat Torah. Simchat means joy. Mm-hmm. Torah means the Torah, the five books of Moses. And so it is a season of rejoicing where we celebrate the fact that we have completed the cyclical readings of the five books of Moses in the synagogue. And then, after Simchat Torah, the next Saturday, the next Sabbath, we begin again from Genesis 1-1. And that way, all Jewish people going to synagogue hear the entire five books of Moses throughout the course of a year. Right. Am I on target there, Bobby? You are on point. And, all right. Um, yeah. And one thing about Simchat Torah, I mean, it is... It is festive. There is a lot of joy. It's an all-night party. There's singing. There's dancing. There's uh, prayer. There's food. Now, listen, in verse 39, Moses gives us more detail. Mm -hmm. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the crops of the land, so it's the final harvest, Passover is the first harvest, and Shavuot is the uh, second harvest, and then you have the final harvest. You shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day, a rest on the eighth day. Now we get different instructions, which we need to pay attention to in verse 40. Mm -hmm. On the first day, take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. 
we're commanded to rejoice, but what are these trees and what are they in Jewish tradition and how's that done today, Bobby? Yeah, yeah. So the way it would be referred to today is the lulav and etrog, the lulav and etrog. And really what it is, it's called the four species. So you have a big palm frond, you have a few branches from a willow tree, a few branches from a myrtle tree, and then you pair it with the fourth and final species. It looks like a, a lemon. It's called an etrog, which is a very, very uh, sweet-smelling, big, yeah, big lemon-looking lemon <laughs> citrus fruit that grows in Israel. Hey, Bobby, where did, the, where, where did Jewish people in New York and Boston and Chicago get a palm frond? Well, I'll tell you what we do uh, in Brooklyn. <laughs> We buy them. <laughs> yeah, we buy them. We, you can't just walk, can't just walk out and cut one down. Uh, but they have street vendors set up all throughout Brooklyn. You get the best prices, and it's negotiable. You can go and and you have to, you know, it's fun. It's really a fun experience to inspect the etrog to make sure that it looks nice and that it smells sweet and it's the right size. It's unblemished. It's it's a whole cottage industry that comes about, you know, once a year for a week. But it's a great place for us to introduce ourselves to religious Jewish people and tell them how we feel about the holiday. The last part of it in verse 41 is, it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generation, celebrated in the seventh month. Then verse 42, you shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so we live in these very frail booths. You're not allowed to use nails. You can't cover the top. You have to have space so you can see the heavens. And they're very frail because they're a reminder of the booths that Jewish people allegedly lived in during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, which I, I suspect were more tent-like structures. But, mm -hmm. but we use these lean-tos is really what they are. And they really remind Jewish people of the frailty of life. And so we, we view our human bodies as booths, and we are reminded of our need to be dependent upon God for the harvest, for the rain, for the sun, and for shelter. And so there are some very deep lessons that we learn from the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus tabernacled among us in John chapter 1, and he took on frail human flesh in order to dwell among us. And there's a bright future for the Feast of Tabernacles in Zechariah 12 through 14, where one day the King of Israel, Jesus the Messiah, will return and he will tabernacle among us in a more glorious way than his incarnation, and he will actually turn the whole earth into a sukkah booth and dwell and reign as the king. And the capital will be, not in Brooklyn even, Bobby, but Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. Here at Chosen People Ministries, we hear from a lot of Jewish people who have found the Messiah. And right now, we'd like to share one of those stories with you. I just can't fathom leaving my friends, my family, you know, the, I'm going to get ostracized. I'm going to, they're going to think I'm crazy. And I'm probably going to lose my entire social network if I make this sort of decision. I think Judaism today is different than the way God wants Judaism to be. You know, I don't think God wants us to be satisfied just with tradition and, and just with ritual. Um, I don't think traditions in and of themselves are evil or bad, but I think God wants something 
much more than that with us. You know, he wants our hearts and, and he wants us to have a, a close relationship with him. You know, I, I, one day I was sitting at a restaurant eating by myself and a stranger came down and sat across from me and just started going on and on and on about Jesus for like 15 minutes. I sat there silently thinking this guy's nuts, but I, you know, what am I going to do? So at the end of the conversation, he, he says, so what do you think about all this? And I said, well, honestly, I'm, I'm Jewish. I don't really have much to say. And he got so excited. He was just thrilled that he, I was Jewish and that, um, and that he told me that he loved the Jewish people and that he loved Israel. And he was just, his eyes lit up. He was, he was ecstatic. And I said, wait, why are you so excited that I'm Jewish? I thought the more Christian you are, the more you dislike Jews. But he said, no, man. He's like, if, if a Christian knows the Bible, they love the Jewish people. The summer of my sophomore year, I was invited, or I should say recruited, to, um, to do a, a crazy summer job, uh, selling books door to door. Sounds nuts, this little Jewish boy selling books door to door. It got even crazier, they were sending me off to the Bible Belt to do it. The summer became more interesting. When we got to Henderson, North Carolina, we had to knock on doors to find a place to live for the summer. We, didn't, we weren't gonna stay in a hotel because we we're trying to keep our expenses down. There were four of us actually, and we ended up you know, having to knock on all the doors in this town trying to find a family crazy enough to, uh, to put up uh, you know, a couple of college kids for the summer. We ended up finding one family that thought we're crazy, really remarkable family. They had three kids and they rearranged their entire household to bring in these college kids to, to sleep in their home. Very, very hospitable. So that first night staying with them, the father who took us in, he asked me to step into the kitchen. He wanted to talk to me for a few minutes. So of course, this guy is showing me hospitality. I said, whatever you want, I'll be happy to talk. And he starts telling me the story about how he met Jesus and about he, how he became, uh, how he got delivered from cocaine addiction and how when he invited Jesus into his life, the room shook. And he was just telling me this crazy story. I'm like, what is going on here? Um, so I called my mom that night. I'm like, mom, I found an amazing family. They're letting us stay with them, but he's telling me about Jesus. Mom's like, ah, don't listen to that guy. He's nuts. Just, just be happy he took you in, but don't, don't pay too much attention to what he's saying. So I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. So the summer goes on, and obviously I'm knocking on doors, you know, knocking on you know hundreds and hundreds of doors, and it seemed like almost every day I was running into people that were very, very excited about Jesus and talking about God all the time. And I knocked on a door and a guy answered the door and said, hey, do you know Jesus? And I said, no, I'm Jewish. And he said, so that doesn't matter. Everyone needs to know Jesus. I'm like, I don't think so. That's not what I've been taught. It was almost like I was being bombarded by the gospel. Of course, I was in the Bible Belt, so I shouldn't have been too surprised by that. But I had never really been presented with who Jesus was and why a Jew would even need to consider who he was. I mean, these people obviously strongly believed what they were believing in. They were very sincere, very loving, very kind people. And quite honestly, I was a little bit jealous of their, their sincerity and of the obvious closeness that they had with God. So as a Jew, I'm like, wait a minute, this is something that I'm supposed to have. You know, I, I'm a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, I'm supposed to have the direct connection with God, right? But yet these Gentile Christians seem to be closer to my God than I am. So one night in bed, before I was going to sleep, I actually was, was crying to God about this. I actually had tears and um, I literally cried out to God and I said, God, 
is Jesus the Messiah? And is this something that I need to make a decision about? I know that if I go and talk to a rabbi, he's going to tell me, no, he's not the Messiah. And if I go and talk to a, a priest or pastor, he's going to tell me something else. So I said to God, you know, God, you need to show me what the truth is here, because I know that man's going to have their own opinions. And I can't say that a lightning struck or that I, I you know, saw a vision at that moment, but something changed in my heart from that point forward. I went from being angry and annoyed when I ran to these Christians to actually being interested to hear more about who this Jesus guy really was. Anyway, the summer continued. I had a great time selling books, worked really hard, made a lot of money, ended up going back to campus and my grades were still good. I still was having fun. I bought a new car, put in a car stereo system. I really had everything that I wanted as a college kid. But I began to realize that I still had that emptiness in my heart. You know, the money didn't really make me any happier. You know, the new car didn't make me any happier. The, the booming car stereo didn't make me any happier. Uh, partying didn't make me happier. And I just began to reflect on what I had experienced during the summer. It all kind of came to a head during finals week. I was walking to the library and on the way to the library, I took a little detour because I saw a crowd of people. And as the crowd kind of got out of the way, the banner said, are you going to heaven? Two question test reveals the answer. And I said, oh my gosh. It was almost like the whole summer and that, that semester kind of led up to that point, that, that pinnacle. You know, God had, had answered my prayer and it had changed my heart and had sent all these people to continue talking to me about Jesus. And here it was laid out in front of me. It was almost like God gave me, this was like my final exam. You know, am I going to accept him or not? I he said, well, Matt, you need to make a decision. You know, do you want to please God or do you want to please man? A lot of Jews, myself included, think that once you believe in Yeshua, that you're turning your back on your heritage. You know, I didn't want to betray my people in any way. You know, my Jewishness was very important to me. And, you know, when I realized that as a follower of Yeshua, as a believer in Him, that it's not a betrayal of our heritage. In fact, it's a, it's a fulfillment of it. You know, I remember reading when, you know, Yeshua said that he did not come to abolish the Torah or the Haftorah, but to fulfill it. I was very excited when I read that because I realized, wait a minute, I can, I can believe in Yeshua and, I, and not abandon my, my Jewishness. In fact, it's the most Jewish thing I could possibly do. I, what could be more Jewish than a Jew believing in the Jewish Messiah? Calendars are an important part of every society. They help us honor the past, remember the present, and even look forward to the future. And that's why we like to help you learn more about God's eternal calendar as we journey through the fall feasts this month. Discover why the 23rd chapter of Leviticus is one of the most fascinating and instructive chapters in all of the Bible, as Daniel Fuchs explains Israel's holy days in type and prophecy. The book is our gift to you just for reaching out today. Connect with us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or ask for the book, Israel's Holy Days in Type and Prophecy, when you call 888-293-7482. 
Our prayer is that the Lord will help you see and embrace these special days for what they truly are. Not just holidays, but God's holy days. And no matter how you connect with us, we look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. Our topic today was the Feast of Tabernacles. And Mitch, do you have any closing thoughts or comments that you'd like to share before we close things out today? Well, I sure do, Bobby. One of my favorite parts of the Feast of Tabernacles is that Hoshana Rabbah, that seventh day. And it's amazing how the Lord picked different festivals to make profound statements. And somehow, Jesus just loved to use the holidays as a time to make these kinds of statements. Yeah. Especially in John. Especially in John. Especially in John, absolutely. Yeah. In John seven thirty-seven through 39, on the last day of the feast, when there was a, a ceremony called the ceremony of the water drawing, where the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam and get living water, come back to the altar, march around the altar shouting, Hoshienu, Hoshienu, Lord save us, Lord save us. And then at a particular moment, pour the water on to the corners of the altar. That was to symbolize that one day in the end of days that God, according to Joel 2, would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. They tie it together with Ezekiel on the whole pouring out of water. And mm -hmm. so all the symbolism kind of formulates in the mind of the Jewish community. It was on that day that Jesus, who was in and out of the feast, if you read the text in John 7, and I could just see him getting up and street preaching. Mm. It's on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the spirit was not yet given, and because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that was one of the most profound statements of Jesus that if we believe in him, then rivers of living water will flood our soul. And that is true. That happened to me, Bobby. I know that happened to you. That can happen to anyone, Jew or Gentile, who embraces Jesus as Messiah. You will have the life-giving spirit flood your soul with joy and with peace and life. And that is a great message from the Feast of Tabernacles. But there's also a bright future to the Feast of Tabernacles that even goes beyond John chapter 7. Right, right. When we get to the very end of the book, right, we're approaching Revelation 21 and 22, where the final victory of the Lamb of God is, is inaugurated. The king is now sitting on his throne. And we have this, this message from John at the beginning of Revelation 21. And the language, listen to it, it's Sukkot language. It's language that talks about God with us and God's tabernacle being with us. This is what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. What a beautiful prophecy. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. You've been listening to The Chosen People, and if you missed any portion of today's message, or if you'd like to share this program with a friend, 
Just visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And now to close with the ironic benediction, here's Michael Rydelnik and Mitch Glazer. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yaseim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. The Chosen People is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries.